Are you ready? Now back to Heatwave Sports. Are you ready? Hour two, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 876-1340, at Tom Barton Sports, at HW Sports over on Twitter. And Tommy, we begin. Well, let's start. Let's start with this one. Give me your recap of the last series, Colorado Las Vegas. Well, we had last spoke last weekend. It was a completely uh, different momentum shift that happened during the week, and then Vegas was able to close this out Thursday night. Just a collapse in Colorado. Yeah, I mean a complete collapse. Look, look Nate McKinnon came into the playoffs this year, actually came into this series, averaging more than a point per game. He was the playoff guy. I mean, look, you look at the big names that are out, right? Uh, McDavid and Matthews. And you look at all the scoring that was out of the playoffs going in, and the one guy that you said, you know what, he's that playoff guy, right? He is the guy that's stepping it up when it matters most. And Nate McKinnon was relatively shut down. You can look at, at Flurry, and everybody's going to heap loads of praise on him. And Grubauer didn't look good. But this, to me, is about Nate McKinnon. I don't care what sport you're at, Tim. If you are the guy your team leans on during the regular season, and you're the best player on your team, and then you're also supposed to be the playoff player on your team, so goes you, as does the playoffs. Okay, If Tom Brady who we all know is a great player performer and all this, if Tom Brady has a, a terrible game, oh, chances are Tom Brady's team is going to lose. Right? Uh, Derek Jeter was the greatest playoff performer uh, you know, that, that I've seen with the bat. Well, if Derek Jeter has a bad series, chances are the Yankees might lose. Well, Nate McKinnon had a bad series, and they lost. I mean, that's just the way that, that you look at it. And, and I've heard... The reasons for it as well. Flurry stood on his head and Stone was great. And, you know, sure, all of that factored in. Vegas played really well. I'm not saying they didn't. Um, there was a, a puck here or there, an overtime goal here or there that could have gone either way. But you expect McKinnon to be the guy making that shot. When overtime came, and the Vegas Golden Knights are terrible in overtime, right? When overtime comes, you expect McKinnon to make that goal. Instead, it was Vegas. When you start to get your back against the wall, you expect McKinnon to come back and be the guy, and he just wasn't the guy, Tim. Yeah. No, absolutely, 100%. You're up 2 nothing in a key home game, right? Pivotal game five situation. You're up 2 nothing heading into the third, and it falls apart on you. But like you said, it still got to an overtime situation, but Stone was the guy that made the play, not McKinnon, and how he got open still beyond me. And even in an elimination game, right, Tommy, in game six, a close game, that's where you need your superstar to show up, and he just, he just wasn't there. Well, Tim, if you remember my assessment of the series before we came in, I said, guys, I think it's going to be a six- or seven-game series. I just thought that the Avs would win, and my prevailing reasoning was, I think offensively, Avs in Vegas, it's a wash. Defensively, Avs in Vegas... I thought was a wash. Goalie, basically a wash. So my my lean was, well, the Avs have home ice, and they have the best player on the ice, and that was McKinnon. Well, they may have had home ice, but Stone proved he was better than McKinnon. McKinnon, I don't even know what happened to him, right? And to me, 
the entire series has to go down to what, what didn't he do? Because look at his playoff stats coming in, and then look at this series. I couldn't believe how absent, and not only on the on the, the scoring, assists, uh, shots on goal, everything was down. McKinnon just had a terrible series. Yeah, wrong time to do it, right, Tom? I mean, essentially, that's what it comes down to. It's uh, playoffs make you a superstar. He's He took a step back in this series, and we'll see what happens next season. I already hear blue, the Bluebirds out saying that Jared Bender needs to be fired because he can't win in the playoffs, Tom. Well, that's ridiculous. Uh, I yeah. mean, come on, come on. Uh, the abs were fantastic. This was a one-two. This should have been, uh, by all regards, this should have been the finals, right? I mean, that's what <laughs> that's, that's really what we all wanted this to be, right? G- give me this as the finals. And they, again, you could sit back and say whatever you want. Look at what what he did. You know, against the Vegas Knights, and I'm talking about McKinnon. You could be the best coach in the world if your best player doesn't perform like that. Well, that's a problem. No, hundred percent. Which takes us to what? Tim, now just, is... just, just, sorry, just to point something out here, Tim. Um, Nate McKinnon, all year long, had only one time the last two games of the season where he didn't go, where he went two games without a point. Okay, only two times all year, and that's including the playoffs, that he had two games without a point. Well, guess what he did in the playoffs against v- VGK, right? Just disappeared. Well, now you get what would be the Western Conference Final, but instead it's going to be the Canadian Division, Tom, versus the Pacific Division. So the Knights will take on the Montreal Canadiens, and if you're looking for... That story, right, Tommy? If you're looking for that story for the sports world this year, would it be the Canadians who went from 3-1 down to the number one seeded Leafs in round one, win it four games to three? They just take out Winnipeg four games straight, and now they have a true Goliath standing in front of them in the, in the form of the Vegas Golden Knights. We didn't expect to see this, this matchup here, Tommy, and um, according to the books, it's not going to be much of a matchup at all. I text you, I said, Right after the Knights had won, I said, what's the line going to be on the series for VGK, Montreal? You said right around 2-1. to one. And then I sent you the screenshot, right? And at, when I sent it to you, it was uh, Montreal was plus 375. By the next morning, it went up to 450, Tom, plus money. Nobody thinks the Canadians have a shot in this series. Nobody does, Tim. But what is the thing that we've said for a decade that we've repeated? It's not a, a brand new thought. Anything can happen in the playoffs if you have a hot goalie. And there is nobody playing hotter than Price right now. He went up against that dynamic Toronto team. And that was when even Tavares was there early, right? He went up against that dynamic Toronto team. Held them to one goal. Toronto spanked him for five. He came back, held them to two, right? He he has been consistent. Held them in the in the final game to just one. Winnipeg, they're not the greatest of offense, but after that opening 5-3 win, 1-0, 5-1, The guy is just standing on his head right now. And I like the fact that he went up against the dynamic offense of Toronto and was able to kind of come out of there with a, a brand new sense of, wow, this is how good I am. He's been phenomenal outside of just him. The Canadians have already won three overtime games, Tim. They know 
you know what? Our backs could be up against the wall. They were down three games to one and came back. So they've had adversity. They've won in overtime. They've had a hot goalie. This is a team that won on the road. They've won their last four games on the road. Toronto twice, Winnipeg twice. There's nothing not to like about this team right now other than people just not buying in. This is a team that's performing at an elite level. Let's not just throw them away because, well, Toronto and Winnipeg. Well, Toronto was the number one seed and Winnipeg was playing really well. But I like their guts. I like how they got here. It's not that they got here. It's how they got here. Coming back down from 3-1, going against adversity, winning back-to-back overtime games, closing the series out in an overtime game, in a game where they very well could have just laid down. It doesn't matter. We were up 3 nothing, And they're riding the back of their just dynamically hot goalie. Uh, a dynamically hot goalie that, oh, by the way, right, Tom? He's won over 350 games in his career. He has won the Vezina Trophy. He won a league MVP back in, in 14-15, and he's just two years removed from winning 35 games in the regular season. He's not a bum, and he's, you know, in the playoffs, not exactly... He and he's not 39 a, years old, Tim. He's 33. No, no, it's, yeah. Right, right. With a lot of, he's got a lot of experience, and um, maybe this is his shot, right? You know, you look at the, the length of a goaltender's career. He's, he's been, what, 14, 15 years all with Montreal, and what saluted him, right, Tommy? It's that that good playoff run. And last year, you know, they, they got to the second the second round before they bounced out. But I think it's somebody that's just Carey Price is a name where like, oh yeah, he's been around a while. But you don't really when you look at you don't think of it because he's not that Stanley Cup winning goaltender. But statistically, and maybe not so much in the postseason, but statistically, he's been one of the better goaltenders, obviously in the last twenty years. And maybe this is his, his last shot, right, Tommy? I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say it like that, but he's playing like he's uh, he wants to go out on top kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because in the playoffs, these are the two best goaltenders. Flurry is 1.91 goals against. Everyone's like, oh, man, Flurry, the greatest player of all time. Well, Price is at 1.97, and he's got the best save percentage of anybody in the left in the playoffs. That's really important to understand. Uh I also think that you have to turn around and, and really look at what the Vegas Golden Knights have become. They are the villains, right? They are the team everyone's rooting against. Uh, the country is rooting against. Now you have two countries rooting against. And if they went up against you know, a regular team, a Toronto or Edmonton, uh, it wouldn't be so much there. This is absolutely... Everyone who likes hockey is betting on Montreal, is is rooting for Montreal, but everyone's betting on Vegas, right? So if you like hockey, you're betting on, on, on uh, you know, well, let's just hope Montreal does something because we're all rooting for Montreal. And it adds that allure to it that Montreal is the world's favorite team right now against the big villain in the Golden Knights. I mean, it adds that kind of extra little intrigue to this. You know, one of the one of the X's and O's I want to say here, Tim, that jumped out at me is the the power play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Vegas power play is scoring fourteen point four percent clip, which is actually below the Canadians. And Montreal has the best penalty killing record in the playoffs. That's impressive. What this series will come down to, right, Tom? It's essentially going to be, <clears throat> and I think we kind of touched on it a little bit in. The, the uh the last segment with Tampa and the Islanders 
is that Montreal is going to have to win ugly, right? They, they're not going to they're not going to outscore Vegas six to five. They're going to have to win three to two, three to one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we know that, right? And that's to me, you know, you look at that and they go, "That's a game that the Knights are okay getting into." Also, that's a, mm-hmm. that's that's the thing, you know. Sometimes you want to speed up a team, and they go, "Yeah, well, we're not going to speed up it." Vegas, if you told Vegas right now, you know what? These are going to be some two-one games. I think, I think most Vegas fans are going to say, "Yeah, well, Flurry is going to be that guy." We don't mind an ugly game. I, I think that that could make Vegas get dangerous, where they think they're going to win these ugly games and they think they're going to be okay. Uh, meanwhile, Montreal's kind of sitting in the catbird seat. What is the? You you said right. You said, look, Vegas has become the villain, except for in Vegas, right, Tom? Because out here, and take with the grain of salt what these jokers will say about their team. They're the best team ever having never won anything, right? And yeah, it's a short window. I get it. Four years is not a long time. But where does the pressure begin to mount in Vegas? If it wasn't against Colorado and they came through it fine, now they're playing a team that they absolutely should, by all rights, a lot of people are saying this is sweep city, you know. I don't see it, but they're saying they should sweep this team. We're going to the cup. We're finally going to win. Where does that, um, that sense of entitlement come from in that you haven't won anything either? You know, you're not talking about a team that's Tampa. You're not talking about a team that has a legacy like Boston or Pittsburgh. Montreal has a legacy, but it's been a, been a long time since the Canadian team has not only hosted a final, but hoisted that cup as well. Does does the pressure start to mount in Vegas's aspect, Tommy, that they were so good so fast but have nothing to show for? It better because – Right now, Vegas is in danger of being the perennial loser, the the, the Buffalo Bills, right? I mean, to a lesser extent, obviously. But they're in that position of, oh, great, Vegas, great team again. You know, here we go. They're going to make the playoffs, but they're not winning anything. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll get there, but they're not winning. I mean, we have teams like that in sports all the time. Uh, the constant playoff team, the constant threat, the team that's always real close – just can't get over the hump, right? Just just can't kind of be that team to get over the hump. They're not there yet, and they could stop all of this conversation, all of it, with a, a win here this year. But they've got to win this year. And I think that they know that. I also believe that there's there has to be immense pressure in their own minds to not overlook Montreal. They know, for a team that gets so close to him, Every single year, you're so close. Every year that most of these guys have worn a Vegas jersey, right? So close. And they believe we're the best team. We're the best team out there. We all believe we are the best team. Well, you know, that is a tough thing to know you're the better team. Year after year, have it kind of slip through your fingers. It's hard to overlook a, a favorite that in some books, Tim, you're a five to one favorite on. It's hard to overlook that team and say, all right, we're going to concentrate here on this team as opposed to concentrating on the next one and getting the cup. The, just the storylines are, are, you know, you couldn't really match up better. It's, it's David Goliath is the way I'm going to look at it in that Montreal shouldn't be here. Everybody expects Vegas to be here, but really Vegas is playoff woes, and we're going to go back, right? Great run in the, in the opening season get out early against Washington, then get swept out of the, the Stanley Cup final. Year two, early exit. Year three, you know, 
however you want to look at it, whether it was the ref's fault or not, they lost that series. And then last year, right, Tom? Good playoff series. And then they get in the, in the uh, Western Conference Finals, and Dallas just takes them apart. Same situation here. There's a huge monkey on their back. And you said the pressure of overlooking Montreal, which I think is being drilled in their head. But let's not, let's not say the series goes their way. There's not an easy opponent waiting for them in the final either, Tom. No, absolutely not. And, and I will tell you now, I said that whoever came out of, of the next uh, the last round was going to win the cup. I said that before that was, it wasn't a, a grand statement. I think a lot of people felt that way. Uh, I, I'm having hesitations about that now. Mm-hmm. Not because Vegas played poorly, not because anything else other than I see how Tampa Bay is clicking right now. I watch how gritty and tough the Islanders are, and I could not be more impressed. I told you on the air, man, cannot be more impressed with Montreal and the style that they, they're playing. I know that the world right now wants Montreal, but the world is betting Vegas, right? I mean, and the line should be massive. I can't believe it got to this number, the five to one number. Yeah. And I'm not going to give it to Tom Barton sports.com clients, but Tim, I'm sprinkling some on Montreal, man. And not because it's great value and I'm just going to sprinkle some. I think this is a six or a seven game series. And if I got a team getting back four to one and I got a shot on a six or a seven game series, I'm taking it every time. It wouldn't shock me to watch Montreal win this this thing. It really, really wouldn't. And I know to Vegas fans that listen to Vegas radio all day long and everyone's laughing at Montreal, guys, do not take this team serious. Uh, lightly, this is a team to take very, very serious. They're here for a reason. Tom, people can call us haters all we want, but I jumped on the Canadians as well. I got plus 450 on the series in that. It was just too good a value to pass up. And, you know, I told them... Um, one of our friends who's a Vegas Knight fan, he's like, you just wasted your money. I go, maybe I did. But you know what? For the value, you, you were not going to get a, a better situation there. And I'll tell you what, I think my, my handicap prediction is that I think the Knights can win this in five. I really do. But if it goes to six or seven, that pressure we talked about, about being the lovable losers, because that's what they would become, it's going to get immense, immensely bad for them. And they need to finish this out early. They Definitely don't want to be in another Game 7 situation. Even though if it will be on their home ice, I get it. And, and Flurry's been money in, in Game 7 situations. You just don't want to take a chance on that because guess what? Carey Price can be that guy too, Tom. Yeah, and look, like I said, from an XSO standpoint, the thing that jumps out at me is the Vegas Golden Knights are, 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 are they're tough on the penalty. And, and, and Montreal is on, amazing on penalty. On they're, Monday night, where Vegas sits... What is it? 260, I believe, would be the line in game one. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, look, you look at the, at the game one in Vegas. So let's do this, Damon. Let's, let's go ahead and take the break. We were going to anyways. We'll get Tommy back on the horn, and we'll get his thoughts on game one, which will be Monday night at T-Mobile, Vegas, Montreal. It's E-Wave Sports. We're back after this. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. All right, to use a to use a hockey term, we had to adjust on the fly here, but we're back. And, and Tommy, the, the last thing I had said was, 
the longer you let a series like this stretch out, and for Vegas fans, it will be well. We have we have flurry. You know, we have the tendency to to win at home, and we can win big games. You also do not want to give an opportunity to a team like Montreal, who has nothing to lose at this point, and a hot goaltender in a game seven situation. If it goes, the longer this series goes, the worse it is for Vegas. Obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And I know no one is giving Montreal any respect at all, but I think they steal a game or two. Um, you know, could they – look, could this go to seven? If this goes to seven, I'll tell you what, Vegas, you better be terrified because I think Montreal wins game seven. Yes, in Vegas. I, I just can't believe that they would be able to get to that point. This is a series where Vegas has to win this in four or five because I don't think they close out in Montreal at six, and I don't think they win a game seven. This Montreal team is that is that good where, you know, I, I think they're going to gain that momentum. If weird things are going to happen, it's going to happen at the end of the series. You know, I don't think that it's going to be a situation where Montreal steals a game in Vegas in game one or two, and then they lose the series. You know, I think it's going to happen at the end of the series. Uh, to me, I'm on Montreal uh, because of value. I, I want to say that Montreal wins the series. I really do. I, I, and I think, I think Vegas does win it in six or seven. But I'm, the more I think about it, I go, you know what? I don't think, them, I don't think they're winning game six. And, and if it gets to a game seven, yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, maybe they do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, Tim, I'm going to say seven. I'm going to say it takes seven. Vegas gets by, but man... I am stopping just short of picking Montreal here because I do think that they are dangerous. I know they're a massive underdog, okay, and they might get swept out of the building. Sure, I'm just giving a little bit of credit to what I'm watching with Montreal. What about the other series? You like Tampa in six? Uh, Tampa's not going to lose at home, but the yeah, Tampa in six makes sense because the Islanders are really, really good at home. So I'll give them their home. I got Tampa in six, Vegas in five. But, like you said, I threw a little bit on, on the Canadian plus money in the series. I mean, it's just too nice. It's too nice of a price. What, what's funny is that, you know, I'm gonna, I, I have a little bit on the Canadians now, but I'm going to take them if they lose game one, and I expect them to lose game one. Because I think that line's going to go up to, like, minus 800 for the night, where I'm not expecting them to win game one, Montreal, right? So... Mm-hmm. I have them on the series now, but this is how you this is how you make money during if you really like the series price. I have something small on them for the series now, but if they lose game one, I'll go back into them and take another shot because I think that the percentage will even go up even more. And then if they go down o two, Tim, which I expect them to, I'll go back into them again for the series because I don't expect them to win any games in the first two games, you know, uh, in Vegas. Now, if they do, great, my series price feels better. But if they don't, hey, I'm going to get a ridiculous price. I mean, if they're down 0-2, you might be able to get 10-1 to 1 back. Yeah. And, and the, look, the, the line is indicative of people betting Vegas. They're hammering Bay Vegas for the series, right, Tom? It's not that, you know, you said 2-1. Two, two to one. That's about where it should be, but people just hammered Vegas right from the set, so that drove that money up. They, the book has to, be, has to gain some... Uh, they have to put themselves somewhere where the liability is less. Right. And that's where, look, I told you, I watch it go up to 5-1 to one in some spots, and that's ridiculous. 5-1 to one is out of control. 
what's the play game when you said Vegas two sixty? It's uh, is that something that you look at here because you think that they they just come out and, and win the game at home? Is it something that you're looking at puck line, maybe gain better odds on it, or is it hey you expect them to lose game one, but the line gets to Vegas two eighty two ninety, maybe you you play a little bit on on Montreal in game one as well. Complete and utter stay away for me. You know, I'm going to, like I said, on my sports garden show tomorrow morning, um, I am going to really break down the dangers of betting early in these series. These teams don't know each other. The travel is different. The uh, mindset is different. They haven't played each other all year long. I don't know. I have to wait and see. I have to watch game one. I won't go anywhere near it. Even the total, you know, you would expect a very low-scoring game with Price and Flurry, but... I expected low-scoring games with Grubauer and Flurry, and it looked like Vegas kind of found their offensive rhythm. Now, there is that prevailing thought that maybe Vegas kind of peaked at the wrong time, right? Peaked yeah. against the Abs, because they looked as good as they've ever looked in those games beating the Abs and closing that series out. Or is that just a momentum uh, to bring it on to the next series? So I, I have to watch this. You know, if Vegas gets the win and it's a 2-1 game or a 3-2 game, I want to see how that that game progressed. You know, if Vegas gets out of here and it's a, it's a 5-1 win, well, okay, that means that Vegas kind of carried it over, and now I have a different mindset of the series. I'm going to sit back and watch game one because I think there's too many variables in the fact that they did not play each other at all. So I'm going to shift over to a couple NFL notes, and then we'll, we'll close tonight out with some baseball. Your guy, Justin Fields, Signs his rookie contract, so four years, right around $19 million guaranteed. And um, they showed him, uh, I know you saw this during the Cub-Cardinal game, showed him on the Jumbotron, and it's just a huge ovation for the Bears' number one draft pick. I, I know you got to feel good going into with the camp starting, and, and now that leads us into preseason. I mean, the, the Hall of Fame game, Tom, is literally two months away from today, and um, it's nice. If you're a Bears fan, that was nice to see that already being welcomed by the, the brethren there in Chicago, Tom. Yeah, you know, look, he's an Ohio State guy, so he's from the area. People are very familiar with him. High-profile guy. The Bears, opposed to, like, a guy getting taken first or second, the Bears fans feel like, wow, we stole him. The, the stars of a line kind of situation, you know. It's, it's a different feeling. Um in no way am I comparing him to Mahomes, but I'm comparing it to the situation where Kansas City fans felt that same way. Wow, this talented guy fell to us. We didn't have to pay too much for him. And people forget all about the trade that the Bears made. Who cares, right? Go up, go get him. He has breathed life back into a pretty stagnant fan base. It, Bears fans love the Bears. But the Bears fans, generally speaking, and I'm one of them, we're going, all right, ho home. You know, might make a wild card kind of situation. All of a sudden, you're reading how he's dropping dimes. Um, the, the assistant coach said he's the kind of mentality to rip your heart out, rip your soul out. And, uh, the reporters are going, oh, man, he made seven or eight straight throws in a row, 40 yards downfield. This guy's touch. I mean, everybody is drooling over the possibilities of what Justin Fields can be. And as much as I like Trubinsky, and I, I defended Trubinsky for years, there was never a buzz like this with Mitch Trubinsky. It was always, well, you know what? We're not a great practice today, but he's kind of figuring it out. And uh, the fan base is going, all right, Trubinsky, look, it's a high draft pick. But Justin Fields, people feel like, you know what? I stole him. 
you know, we, we, we stole this guy. He's got all kinds of momentum. Oh, man, it's good. This is exactly what Chicago needed from a, an outside perspective, the excitement, the energy. This was a year where most Bears fans are going, yeah, we're not doing anything this year. It was kind of a throwaway year. Now, all of a sudden, the throwaway year becomes, you never know. You never know. And let's go over to your rival, Green Bay. So in OTAs and minicamp, you got Matt LaFleur got a great look at Jordan Love, obviously as the status of Aaron Rodgers up in the, in the air right now. And, and granted, Tommy, this is my, my take on it. Is we both agreed that he was the guy that was still going to be the quarterback come week one. And he has all summer to change his mind, Rodham. He could probably milk this to the last minute if he wanted to because that seems like the Aaron Rodgers thing to do to make it all about himself. But, you know, when you look at the other side of this now, for when this all had started, you pretty much the, the sentiment from the front office was, Aaron's our guy. We're not trying to trade him. Uh, he's the one we want here. It's, that's starting to change a little bit, though, Tommy. If you look at some of the... The comments coming out of the front office in Green Bay, it's its not necessarily about he's the guy. It's more of that uh, he's still a part of the team. But, you know, it looks like they're they are trying to set themselves up for Aaron Rodgers basically leaving them holding the bag, I guess, is the way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, look, they have put it in a situation that they're trying to get that fan base, but they, they could care less. Look, if, if Jordan Love can play football, the way that they drafted him to, nobody cares about Aaron Rodgers. And, and, and that's the reality. Look, Green Bay fans, right now, you're scared. That's why. You're scared because you don't know what Jordan Love's going to become. And who cares? If, if Aaron Rodgers makes, is a bad guy or Green Bay is a bad guy or Aaron Rodgers is a good guy, none of it will matter in five years from now if Jordan Love has this team playing in the Super Bowl, right? That means Green Bay all of a sudden did the right thing. Um, so their whole perception basically is, uh-oh, our guy, the Sierra parent, isn't quite ready. We don't believe Aaron Rodgers is willing at his age to sit out a season. We're calling his bluff. So he's going to play for us. He's going to be productive for us. Uh, we're going to squeeze one more year out of him, and then we'll let him go. And that also gives Jordan Love one more year to kind of set his feet, people to get used to that Jordan Love is the heir apparent. It, for the Packers, this is exactly what I would do. And I just want to tell you, man, I've been telling you guys this for 10 years, that this is what Aaron Rodgers is. He doesn't get along with his family. He doesn't get along with teammates. He doesn't get along with the front office. They don't even have a front office. He doesn't get along with it. He didn't get along with the past front office, who now has come out and talked about that as well. Um, there's a reason why Aaron Rodgers is a perennial loser, and it's because he has communication problems, and he's not a team leader. So, if I'm Green Bay, yeah, I want Aaron Rodgers to give it one more chance if I'm a Green Bay fan. But I'm also resigned to the fact that Aaron Rodgers is leaving. Aaron Rodgers is leaving. He's leaving very soon. And you guys better just come to the realization that Jordan Love is your future. Because the Green Bay Packers have kind of painted themselves into a corner where even if Jordan Love is not the future and they realize it, Tim, they still have to go down that ship, don't they? Don't they have to go down that path and go down with the ship? Because now everything that happened with Aaron Rodgers. So it's an interesting dynamic that's going on in Green Bay because it's almost like his, his last rock. It's almost like this is his retirement season. I was looking at some of the reports out of New Orleans and Sean Payton with um, 
again, OTAs, right, Tom, mini camp. It, it is what it is. Mostly a good opportunity for the rookies to get out there and guys that are trying to make this team. But the more I look at the quarterback situation there with Drew Brees retiring, and right now, Taysom Hill is penciled as the starting quarterback. Jameis Winston would be the backup. Um, I'm still shocked that there wasn't some type of a play made by New Orleans to get a quarterback. I'm not sure that maybe I'm just missing this here with, with the Hill connection, but I, when I look at that position, obviously it downgraded with the retirement, but Tommy, but I, I don't know if it was addressed correctly. And uh, it's great to say Michael Thomas is going to come back and have a, a year he had two years ago, but I just the quarterback position just scratches my head. I, I'm just not sold there. And Kamara, look, another year, right, Tommy? Another year of taking a, a pounding and, can't expect him to have the year he had last year either. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it's the Jameis Winston factor, correct? I mean, you, this is, to me, this is Sean Payton's pride, and that's all that it comes down to. Sean Payton is going, I can make any quarterback better, and Jameis Winston has plenty of upside. He's a number one overall pick, right? I mean, Jameis Winston is not that far removed from having good years. He just simply turns the ball over all day long. But if you look at what Winston was at his best, which was in college, right, Sean Payton certainly paid attention to that. So this is falling in love with what I can do because I am so good. And Sean Payton is going to either prove to all of us, wow, he really is, or or his ego is going to kind of get in the way here. I agree with you. It was not addressed properly. I don't feel confident in a franchise that is a step away from a Super Bowl, handing the keys over to a Jameis Winston. Now, do I think Winston can be successful in this league? I absolutely do, Tim. And if you went down to Carolina, I would say, all right, hey, you know what, good shot. This is fine. Uh, you know, he can be okay. But to put him into a situation like New Orleans and the offense they run and the kind of play that they have and the expectations that are in New Orleans, I think it's a bad fit. I don't hate Winston as a player. Look, I, I am not a fan of him, but I don't hate him as a player. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. We know that. But I, I don't like him as a player on a team that is a Super Bowl champion, a potential Super Bowl champion, a potential division champion, going up against Tom Brady. It, it's just up against the wall. And I, I liken it uh, in a lot of respects to a lot of us out there play fantasy, right? And you get this hot young guy, oh, yeah, man, oh, man, he has, like, two good months, and people buy in. Akil Badu is a, a guy like that, right, that happened this year. And then you hold him, and you play him, and you play him, and you play him, and you play him, and you're just hoping to squeeze something out of him. That's what Sean Payton's doing. He's going, wait a minute, I saw greatness once. I think I could replicate it again. I don't like it. You mentioned Michael Thomas. Look, look Michael Thomas is a slant receiver. This is what he is. He is a guy that really doesn't get down the field. He is, he's got his limitations. Well, he's come out on Twitter and so is Sean Payton. Oh, we're going to show you this year, Michael Thomas is going to be a different receiver. So wait a minute, now you're changing the quarterback. You're also changing what he is. Also look at Alvin Kamara's usage out of the backfield when anybody but Drew Brees is in there. He's a different back. And if Alvin Kamara isn't catching 90 balls, he's not as effective as a back. So all of a sudden, it's not that Jameis Winston is only in there. It's that the very successful New Orleans Saints are changing their entire offensive play calling and their game plan. I'm very skeptical about New Orleans this year. 
Tommy, we're going to close with some baseball. And we'll jump into division by division tomorrow night on the Sunday night show. Just uh, I saw a article, and I, I read it earlier today, and I thought it was a good discussion point because it, these two teams I had in our preseason show, or preview show, I had playing in the World Series. That was the Yanks and the Braves. Those were my two teams. And uh, the article, sure enough, was titled, Tommy, Who's the bigger disappointment right now, the Yankees or the Braves? If the playoffs started today, neither team would be in. And um, I know you feel the same way. Yeah, I, I do feel the same way. You know, the Yankees' uh, elixir is the Minnesota Twins. Okay, here you go. Yeah. Right. Um, I think the Braves are, are the more disappointing team, though. I think the Braves are more disappointing because Yankee fans were skeptical on certain topics. Now, that hadn't been the problem. But Yankee fans were going, all right, Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyon, I mean, I hope that they're okay, but I don't think there was a lot of Yankee fans going, oh, yeah, well, they're definitely going to be fine. I know a lot of Yankee fans are going, yeah, Glaber Torres, I'm a little, a little concerned there, concerned about Giancarlo Sten, concerned about Gary Sanchez, concerned. There was concern in Yankee land, specifically about the pitching, which actually wound, wound up being okay. But overall, there was concern. If you turned around to a Yankee fan, um, before the year, and you said, in mid-June, the Yankees are going to be out of the playoffs. The Yankee fan would have turned around to you and said, okay, so Kluber and Tyone were a bust. Stanton's hurt. Sanchez isn't hitting, right? And, and Torres hasn't found it. Okay, you could reason that. Atlanta had none of those concerns. Atlanta had a good young staff. MVP form Freddie Freeman coming back. Ronald Acuna, Albies, uh, you know, if, look at the moron in left field, right? They, they had a solid team. If you turned around to Atlanta and said, you're not going to be in the playoffs in mid-June, what was their response going to be? Oh, Freddie Freeman got hurt and so did Ronald Acuna? No, 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 neither one of those things happened. Okay, the bullpen imploded. No, the bullpen's been okay. Okay, the, you know, you know, the starting pitching is, 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 is good. What, was, was the injuries? No, no, not really any injuries. I mean, that's the difference here. I'm not making excuses for the Yankees at all. But I believe that the Yankee fans was hoping for a World Series, was expecting a division title, but knew the pitfalls were there. I think the Atlanta Braves were hoping for a World Series, expecting a division title, and figured, at worst, we're getting knocked off by, like, the Dodgers or Padres in, in the championship game. I don't think that the idea of the Atlanta not making the playoffs should have entered anyone in Atlanta's mind. And why Atlanta is falling apart? Who knows? Freddie Freeman's batting like 250, right? I mean, yeah. that's not going to continue. Um, there's not really that one thing to point on and say, okay, there you go. With the Yankees, they're not hitting, but they've been a lot, very injured. I'm not saying it's a, an excuse as much as I can, I can accept it. If you sat down and explained to me before the year, Yankees, mid-June, going to be out of the playoff picture, it wouldn't have been the most unthinkable thing. Atlanta, yeah, it would have. Yeah, I think with the Yankees, look, they're talented enough. There's plenty of time left. Boston and Tampa are still, I believe, in my mind, playing over their heads. That They can narrow that gap quickly. And um, if they have to make a move, right, Tom, we know that they're going to make the move. In Atlanta, the problem is, and um, what I see is, okay, you said it, MVP batting 250, he's taking a step back. But the play of Austin Riley has been excellent, right? So you have a positive there. The problem is, Dumbass in left field, 
that that's that's a huge offensive hole that's left there this year. Albies is underperforming, and the starting pitching they're just giving up runs, right, Tom? This is you know Morton's over four and a half, Smiley's over five, Freed's over four and a half. These are not what they expected. Their pitching staff they you're looking at you're looking at guys you would expect to be in the three range, and they're just they're getting hammered out there, and uh, they're taxing their bullpen at the same time. So if they cannot turn this around quickly, it, it I don't think they're going to be set up enough in August to make a run. They're going to have to do it now. I also believe, Tim, that um, you know, if you look at which team is can turn it around quickly, the Yankees not hitting, you know, you go, all right, well, Luke Boyd's coming back. Stanton is finally healthy. You know, D.J. Uh, LeMayu is not going to bat 250 for the whole year. It's way more conceivable that the Yankees hit their stride, start banging the ball all over the place, and, and really just start tearing it up than it is that everything in Atlanta is fixed. You could tell me that Freddie Freeman's going to start finding his stroke. Yeah, I believe that. And you could tell me that, you know, maybe the Atlanta starting pitching won't be so bad. And maybe their bullpen gets improved. And maybe the, But you need four or five things to happen in Atlanta. With the Yankees, you need one. Start hitting the ball. Yeah. What do you see... So we we had talked a week ago. You uh, you're on the fire boon, fire cash, fire mall bandwagon, Minnesota. You, you get a quick quick uh, quick bump, but here we go again, Tommy. Heading into Sunday, you, you know you lost the first two games of this series. I'm still on the fire everybody bandwagon. <laughs> you know I, I I have to be because the way that the team is constructed. I was actually uh you know I, I coach little league and I we had we had our team party today and we were talking to a bunch of the other parents and. It's a prevailing thought. There's, there's nobody that understands baseball, even the, the smallest amount, that would agree that this is the way that you build a team. You have everybody on the team. The New York Yankees fielded an entire right-handed hitting team the other day for the first time since, like, 1900, right? The entire team is right-handed. Yankee Stadium plays to lefties. What the hell is going on? You know, this is the makeup of the team. There's nobody. You can tell me, oh, well, it's the home run here. There's no lefty bat. There's terrible, terrible up, up the middle defense. Him at a little league level, what are you talking about? Center field, shortstop, catcher better be the best defensive players on the field, and you've got to play to your ballpark, lefty hitting in the Yankee Stadium. These are obvious things. If aliens come down tomorrow and they want to know about baseball, yeah, yeah, you're going to build a team in Yankee Stadium, get a bunch of left-handed hitters, make sure you have good up the middle defense. The Yankees don't have any of that. And how this could have gotten away from them so far that you don't have a lefty in the lineup, you have the worst shortstop defensively in baseball, you don't have a center fielder at all. Aaron Judge is playing center field, and Gary Sanchez is the worst defensive catcher in baseball. That's what you have as your up-the-middle defense. How did this get away from them so quickly? Well, tomorrow, game three against the Phillies, Herman for the Yankees, and, and Tommy, your guy, says, you got you to beat him tomorrow, Nola. I don't like the Yankees plus money. Aaron Nola has given up three or more runs in three of the last four starts, coming off of two of the last three starts, where he's given up four runs. Uh, Yankees plus money makes some sense to, to make sure they don't get swept again. Uh, it, it, Domingo German, not my favorite guy, but you know what? He's effective. Yeah. He's actually he's, he's pitched decently this year, Tom. So. Yeah, he's effective. You can keep him in the game. And uh, Look, the Yankees' bats are coming around. LeMayu just hit a home run. Stanton's on fire. Uh, judges an MVP form, so I'm going to take him plus money tomorrow. I like that. Well, tomorrow night we are going to 
look at, of course, the NBA playoffs. We'll have a Game 1 recap over in the NHL with the Lightning and the Islanders, and we'll jump into baseball head first, division by division, and see where we stand as the month of June here is reaching its midway point. But Tommy, if, uh, with that being said, you've got a show tomorrow, a podcast tomorrow that's going live here in a few hours, and, of course, always winning selections over at the website. Yeah, guys, go check it out. Hashtag SGN. It's Sports Garden Network. It's the Wanna Bet Show. Uh, the podcast is Wagering Week. We have a really good interview tomorrow with David Danzis, who writes for the, uh, the Press of Atlantic City, and now he's a uh, New Jersey gambling site. Because there is a gambling law coming down where New Jersey is going to allow, or they're proposing to allow in-state wagering on college teams. And usually what New Jersey does, everybody else does. New Jersey is the capital of the world right now in sports betting. So that's an interesting interview we have. And Chuck C., Tim, you're going to want to listen to this, our Rotomill fantasy expert, blasting Mike Trout, says he's absolutely just down on him in fantasy, down on him overall. And I'm going to go back and forth with Chuck about that. So you guys want to listen. It's Wagering Week is the podcast. Also, go check out TomBartonSports.com. Like I said, guys, I'm crushing it in the NHL. Another baseball win today. Uh, I, I am having one of the best months and starts to the month. I'm now 11-3. and three. In the start of this month. You guys want to jump on board, get every single play that I give out at TomBartonSports.com. Tommy, I definitely am going to listen to that on the way home because I just can't conceivably think of a way how Trout is dead. He was smashing the baseball at the time of his injury. So I'd love to hear the uh, thought process here of your guest. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I'm not saying I agree with him because clearly I don't. <laughs> but some numbers are being brought to the table, and, and I'll, I'll throw it out there, Tim. Over the last four years, he's missed 30% of the team's games. That is a pretty large argument. Okay. Check it out. We're on Wagering Week at all. You're, uh, right, Tommy, it's on all the platforms. So. Yeah, it's on every, every platform. Well, you have a good rest of your night. Enjoy your sports Sunday, Tom. We'll talk to you tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. Have a good one, guys. Tom. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com. Wagering Week is the podcast. Hashtag SGN over at the Sports Garden Network. For Tommy, for DeMond, to Mungles, we have a great sports Sunday. We're back at it at 10 o'clock tomorrow night. E-Wave Sports only on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Good night. It's Friday Night Smackdown at 8 Eastern on Fox and the Fox Sports app.